Track 10. This is my challenge. My challenge to everybody listening. I challenge you to find a longer title for a song than, than track 10, which is called Sir B. McKenzie's Daughter's Lament for the 27th Mounted Lancers Retreat from the Straits of Loch Nome. <laughs> That's what it's called. <laughs> I know. Oh, oh, no yeah, um, so that's just a whole lot of reels and and jigs and stuff like that. Um, Ian, yeah, yeah. Is, is, so is that that mouthful of a title? Is that actually mentioned in the song? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. I, I don't think so. <laughs> Hello listeners, um, my name's Glenn and welcome to our sixth episode of Music, Movies and Madness. Each episode we review a different year and discuss the movies and music and sometimes the event that occurred. Uh, last week we had 1981 in episode 5 and we used a random year generator to shake things up and deliver us to the year 1970. So for us this is a brand new decade for us to consider so it's fitting that we sort of start at the beginning. Um, and again, joining me this week, we've got the usual crew of David, Ian, and Martin. Hello, gentlemen. How are you? Hello. Happy Easter. Happy, happy Easter, Easter yeah. Glenn. Yes, happy Easter. Oh, yes. Yeah. You guys well? Yeah. Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. All good. All good in Taranaki, man. Sweet. Well, you were, but you ran out of eggs, apparently. Well, we did. We, ran, we had a COVID shortage on chocolate eggs. <clears throat> well. Well, that's a shame. I had the COVID, but no egg shortage. Um, so that's all good. <laughs> Are you recovered? Are you recovered, uh, Glenn? Not fully, I'll be honest. Not fully, but um, getting there. And how's you look the family? Good, I you feel look the family? Better. Yeah, good. Yeah, they're all recovered. Just a bit of the old fatigue to go away. But today was one of the first days I didn't have an afternoon nap. So um, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. <laughs> That would be huge for me. <laughs> if, I, would be, if, I yeah. a, if I did a day without a nap. <laughs> what? You, but you wake up at stupidly hour, early hours of the morning anyway, don't you? No, I used to. That's you when middle, to. That, until middle age sort of knocked on the door and you said, You guys sound like a bunch of old men. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't, you like, Martin, don't, don't you like having Martin's a nap with, during the day? Martin's with me, man. You, we'll let you old guys heck, heck, heckle it out. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I don't know. Martin... Anyway, that. we won't talk about Martin's back. Let's move on. No, no. it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> Has he got? Oh yeah. Okay. There's lots of things you could go there with, but we're not going to do he, that. He woke up one day. <laughs> oh, oh, that's unfortunate. All right. Yeah. Okay. After bench, so, um, bench pressing a car and uh, yeah. and something just <laughs> something just twinged. Yeah. <laughs> I don't hate that. Well, that's what happens, say, when you throw and turn around like that. No, it was a seven-seater, you know. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. 1970. Um, that's been quite entertaining, research and thinking about 1970 this week. Do you know what? Uh, I, I went into it full of, full of hope and promise, and I thought, wow, what an amazing <laughs> year. And, um, and, it, and it was, you know, and it was, musically. Movie-wise, in hindsight, God, there were some boring movies came out in 1970. Oh, yeah. 
some really long-winded boring Uh movies but anyway we'll get to that we'll get to that right Mm. yeah fair enough and ian did you do any sort of thinking about it or i yeah i no, no, I always do my homework. I'm just, yeah, I know I don't look like the sort of guy that does that, but I, oh, I definitely shit. did my homework. Yeah. <laughs> what a load of rubbish. You've totally proven yourself over the last five episodes that you Absolutely. do. Yeah, I'm exactly. I've been trying real hard. <laughs> I know, and you've succeeded every week. Yeah. Well done. Thanks, guys. I'm real. Well Thank you. So, yeah. No, 1970 was hard. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't enjoy it so much. Yeah, I think, we, I think the, uh, the random year generator was like a year out. If it had gone a year either side, we'd have been sweet this week. <laughs> but 1970, mm. I think it was like the cool-down year in between or something. I don't know. <laughs> Especially for me. Wow, yeah. that's right. I mean, it was, it was the year that the dream was over. Wow. Tell us about it, Glenn. And the, and the Beatles broke up. And for oh. a lot of people, they took that pretty hard. The who? Yeah, exactly. No, no, the Beatles. As, <laughs> they're a different and as, band. Yeah, and as, there, John, as John said, they were just a pop group. That's all they were. The pop yep. group. You yeah. got you yeah. got the records there. If you want to listen to them, they're still there. Yeah, yeah. I remember that's what he said. <laughs> oh, hilarious! Um, New Zealand had an interesting year, David. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw any of the sort of the looking at some of the news that came out that year. It was quite interesting to see a whole bunch of things that sort of started in 1970 sort of continue all the way through the 70s and um, culminate pretty much in 1981. Um, We had the first all-black tour of South Africa with Māori allowed to actually go and play, but they had to be designated as honorary whites. Oh, good one. I know, how bad is that? Wow. Wow. Yeah. Taking us back. I honorary know. What, honorary, honorary. Was that what they called them? <laughs> yes, that's what they called them. Oh, thank goodness we've evolved. Yeah, and, um, yeah, and it, it, that sort of went through the entire 70s, all of that rubbish before we had that giant um, hoo-ha in 1981, mm. which yeah. was pretty massive. Mm. The infamous Springbok tour. Yeah, yeah. uncool, very uncool. Um, very uncool, eh? It's just so bad. Mm-hmm. Um, we even had a vice president come to New Zealand that year, and he got roundly um, a lot of violent confrontation. Police accused of being too over eager and beating up protesters against the Vietnam War. Oh, who, who was, was that? Um, this guy called Spiro Agnew. Vice president to who was uh, Nixon? Nixon, yes, of yeah. course. Yeah. yeah, so he was a pretty bad dude. Um, um, the pirate radio station in New Zealand, Radio Hauraki, was finally given a license after four years of battling the state broadcasting system. Now, this wow. is a pretty big story, um, this one. And Martin, I'm not sure, do you know much about the Radio Hauraki story? I do know a bit about it. I, I remember, I've seen, um, there was a movie came out a few years ago, um, not long, actually, after I moved here. So probably about 2009, 2010. Well, there was a couple, wasn't there? There was a comedy one, which was like The Boat That Rocked or something. And yeah, then there was a serious one. one. And I saw the serious one, um, which was, yeah, it was really interesting. It was really cool. Um, and what a battle that was to actually get that license. Jeez, they went wow. through some hoops. Well, they even got shipwrecked as well. Mm. The, the, their famous boat, the Tui, got shipwrecked in the Hauraki Gulf. and Accidentally the, on purpose? Or how did that happen? I don't know. 
Did someone but, bomb it? Did someone attack it? I don't like, know, but just the fact that a, a music radio station created that mm. much angst for the government um, amazing, unbelievably stupid, yeah. and all they're doing is playing pop records. I mean, how New Zealand wasn't a particularly cool place at one point, eh? Well, you know that rowdy pop music, man. Those Beatles. Oh, wow. Mm. Yeah, and singing really, about the devil and all that stuff. And everybody just wanted to have a bit of the old John Rolls that year. No. Um, he had the massive hit, Cheryl Mulvana Marie. Oh. Have you guys heard that one? Oh, have we? Oh. Yeah. I, 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 not not I sure. The pleasure of it's looking. Easy. He's the equivalent of Engelbert Humperdinck in New Zealand, eh? Oh, oh, look, I, I, don't bring Engelbert back. Number one. No, Cheryl Marie was a number one here in New Zealand and sold a million copies worldwide. Well, yeah, I, I was in Perth in 2009 for about a year. And um, early on, probably about March, we went over in about January. In March, I, I met um, one of the neighbours where I was staying and he was Mauritius um, and a guitarist and all that sort of thing. And when he found out I was a Kiwi, the first thing he said, oh, John Rolls, Cheryl Moana Marie. I went, who? And he's like, oh, yeah. you, you must know that song. It's huge. Like, okay. Are you on about? And I went and checked it out online, and, and yeah, um, it was you, quite big, apparently. But uh, yeah. You Not the song that. I wanted so to be glad you did that. Well, they could have gone, you know, like Poye <laughs> or something much cooler, but no, it was Cheryl Moana yeah. Maria. We were, I'm right in saying, I'm right in saying, though, that wasn't you sort of hanging out with like Tom Jones and Elvis and stuff and doing Vegas and things as well yeah no he was he was right up there yeah, yeah. definitely with that right. sort of Engelbert crew, eh? wow. and um and they wheeled him out for every you know remember all those sort of we had on tv these um variety performance shows the so ladies loved they them. had in england and and john rolls was always here always yeah. yeah and have you actually sung any of the songs ian and um and and your and your world and you still with things and stuff like the Tinker Tars? Yeah, well, we've done Tinker Tars, but apart from that, no, we are pretty cool. We just do cool <laughs> shit. Cool stuff. We, do, we just do cool stuff. Cool music. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Cheryl <laughs> Moana doesn't pay the bills, does she? Yeah. <laughs> no, but it was, it was by far the biggest hit in New Zealand <laughs> that year. Yeah. So. No, 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 that's good. I respect that. You know. Yeah. No. Mm. And it's good to see it sort of got up on the world stage as well. Now, for listeners mm. who aren't familiar with Cheryl Moana Marie, it will be on our um, our playlist this week. So Thanks. please have really? a look, have a listen. It's a well, it's a number one. Oh. Yeah, you don't know what you're in for. It's beautiful. It is actually, yeah, yeah, it is. Well sung, yeah. well written, brilliant. He wrote it for <laughs> his sister. Anyway, yeah, true story. Yeah. So I'm going to keep on bringing up these sort of ones, so you know it. Please. Of course. Yeah. Oh, thanks, Glenn. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> well, well, they were big songs in New Zealand. And, you know, David sort of had the split ends a couple of weeks ago. And, and you know, mm. it'd be remiss of us not to think about some of the New Zealand classic songs over the time, eh? Mm. That's right yeah, up there, man. Of that year, I suppose that's right. Yep. Mm. How bizarre. They were, they, were there, they were there, right? No, they, they, they were big, you know? <laughs> in their era, yeah, yep, yeah, crooners, man, and I've always been True. popular. Yeah, yeah. got to give credit. Yeah, and I guarantee in another 
20 years, there'll be a young, another young crooner out there and he'll be making it big as well. Mm-hmm. They're, they're just always going to be there. Yeah. All right. Always in the, in the shadows, just yeah. lurking in the shadows. Yeah. No, that, that was Cliff. Already for a comeback, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Martin, oh, someone's on fire. (laughs) Martin seems pretty eager to go first, so we'll we'll chuck him on first. Yeah, Martin, he's he's always eager. You chose. Uh, So I I I chose um, a Clint Eastwood classic, uh, Two Mules for Sister Sarah, uh, which was yeah, nineteen seventy. What? Yeah. What a title. Yeah. Um. And it literally is a, the story of, uh, of Clint Eastwood <laughs> as a cowboy, because, you know, it's Clint Eastwood, so it's going to be a cowboy movie, right? Um, who meets a nun called Sarah. Um, mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, I saw it when I was a teenager. This is going. Thought, you know what? It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad and quite entertaining. And it probably still is quite entertaining. But the mood I was in yesterday in... Certain amount of pain. Uh, I I got like half an hour in and kind of lost the will to live, so I had to turn it off. But <laughs> why, why, why was it so bad? I've got to ask. Why was it so bad? Uh, Tell me more. Right, because like most of those westerns from oh oh, it seems to be most Clint Eastwood westerns. Right, it's like fifty-five minutes of desert shots, and <laughs> if you're lucky, a Morricone score. And then, yeah. bang! It all kicks in, and, and you get like four, you know, half an hour of action in a big shootout or whatever. And this one is no yeah. different. It's the same old Clint. Um, yeah. I do have. I will give. Uh, um, I will give an honourable mention out to Shirley MacLaine, who plays the sister Sarah, who plays the nun in it, and she does actually give a, a really good turn and does a good performance. But yeah, it's a movie. I think you have to be in the mood for. So if you're into. Yeah. If you're up for a cowboy and nun movie, this is the one. Well, so I'm just checking this out. It got 69% on the tomato meter on Rotten Tomatoes, but more importantly, wow. um, you might also like underneath the you might also like segment, it says Kung Fu Yoga. Okay. So, so if you what like, if you like, if you like, and, and can I just say the Clint Eastwood Shirley MacLaine Two Mules for Sister Sarah um, cover of the DVD or whatever it is is shocking. Yeah, it looks like a carry on film. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it looks it looks absolutely hideous. Um, but yeah, it's Have, recommending uh, Kung Fu Yoga. If you like this Clint Eastwood film, then the next wow. obvious one is logical Kung Fu step. Yoga. Yeah. Yep. There's yep. that is there's one for Chadwick. Have you seen Kung Fu Yoga? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just putting it out. Maybe our listeners can make a comment if they've seen it to yeah, pre warn us. You know, if it how bad it's going to be. Yeah, Martin. I think yeah. you're right there. It does yeah. look pretty mm. bad. <laughs> so yeah, short but sweet. But that's my review of it. Um, yeah, go mm-hmm. see it if you if, go and watch it if you're into nuns and Clint Eastwood. There you go. Wow. All right. It's, on that yeah. on that fabulous quick review mm. of things not to watch. Um we'll then go to Ian. What did you choose, man? Uh so I um when I when I review my movies, I have a little bit of a format. So I tend to be doing some baking or cooking or something <laughs> like that. 
right so kung fu yeah. yoga <laughs> kung fu yoga <laughs> i've been i've been laying off that just of late because it, it's it's just it's all a bit messy but uh so this week i was uh baking some oat cookies and uh i was and i was watching my movie which was called um oh catch 22 there you go mm-hmm. you, and yeah that's a classic isn't it well, I mean, well, apparently, yeah. I suppose I I should start by saying, has any? Did you guys? Do you guys? Have you all watched it? No, I, I think haven't I've seen the movie. Watched. I did okay. see the TV thing that came out like a couple of years ago with yeah. George Clooney, and that was all right. Yeah. So, I I think through my life, uh, being being very honest. It's got me in a lot of trouble, and uh, so I'm I'm going to be honest in my review here. Okay, so you may have to just you may have to edit some of this what's coming up, but basically it was. Thanks for the warning. Yeah, it was the biggest like pile of shit I've ever seen. Stamp that um, it, biggest pile of shit you've ever seen. Oh, this absolutely. is a wonderful I mean, review. I got, oh, yeah, I got to nine up. minutes. <laughs> Two thumbs up. I got to nine minutes, 57 seconds. Wow. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, for me, it was noisy, uh, confusing, rowdy, rambling American drivel. Uh, I would give it like one out of ten, maybe a half. But, you know, <laughs> of what I've got to say is that there will be listeners out there that, that are like, this is a classic because it is written as a classic from a novel, which is a classic. And I would like to say to those listeners that I, you know, I respect that and it's only my opinion. But you're wrong. I, you know, <laughs> yeah, but you're wrong. It is terrible. And I'm the sort of guy, like my top five movies are like, I don't know, uh, Team America, Tenacious D, <laughs> Tropical Thunder. You know, that's the kind of guy I am. So, um <laughs> But on the, on those the are flip, good films. Flip, That's a good yeah, film. The, oh, classics. Thank you. On the flip side, um, I did actually finally manage to learn how to bake crispy oat biscuits. So my <laughs> uh, my video review is actually going to be about oat biscuits. And yeah, well, the secret <laughs> the secret is you've got to put a. I don't really like using sugar too much, but you've just got to put the sugar in. There you go. Uh, yeah. Thank you very much. Moving on. What's Cheers. the difference between an oat biscuit and an Anzac biscuit? Because well, they're both got oats in it, eh? Yeah, I think Anzac's got coconut. Oh, no, 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 no. It's coconut. Is it coconut and an Anzac biscuit? I don't know. But I know yeah. I used to make them back in the day and they're sort of oaty biscuits. You're bloody Kiwis. You should know your recipe. Really? Yes. I'm gluten free. I can't touch that shit, man. I can't Doesn't walk into a place and order one. You should really? know. I can't eat yeah, oats. Um, you should still know you're a kiwi. So the ultimate, ult- the ultimate OT biscuit is a hobnob, right? Or a chocolate hobnob if you're going to be really posh. Hobnobs are great. What's a, oh, what's a hobnob? God. A hobnob it is an OT biscuit, but it's yeah. like the king of OT biscuits. Is it like a Scottish thing? So, no, no, Super no, crunchy. No, no. no it's English. A, it's, it's an English thing. Okay. It's right. a, a McVitie's biscuit, yeah. You can dunk know. that in. You can leave that in your tea for a good 
I don't know, for about 10 minutes. They're yeah. still rock hard. They were good. They cracked the mug. <laughs> <laughs> so, so potentially, between an OT, one of those those biscuits, the hobnob, and a, and a pint of Guinness, and you've basically got a full meal. Yeah, because, yeah, like, you know, Guinness is basically, yeah. what, liquid bread, right? <laughs> so it's Iron, minerals, yeah, it's all good for you. I, I, I would recommend anyone to have that for a diet. Do you know what? When I was a teenager and I, and I first kind of experimented with bit with beer, I went with Guinness because it was the one pint I knew none of my mates would nick off me if like I left it. How many so, did you get through in a night? Jeez, oh, I don't know. Back then, probably not very many, but um, now even <laughs> even less. But uh, I I got laughed at, at an Irish bar for ordering a Guinness once. I was 18 and I went into Kitty and I was at the, uh, the Celtic Inn in Palmerston North and I thought, oh, I'm going to get a Guinness. I'm cool. I can get one of those. And it was awful. And I'd already been drinking earlier and it was just so bad and I really didn't like it. And I was like, oh my God, how am I going to get through this? So I, dumbass kid that I was, asked, could you put like half a lager through this? <laughs> Oh, wow. Jesus. What the <laughs> hell? These, they, I know these Irish people behind the <laughs> counter and, and next to me in the bar just all looked at me and went, you're such a lightweight, and basically <laughs> oh. said some other words. And, you know, these are character-building moments for a young man, and you just sort of got to take it. And I said, look, that's fine. I just couldn't chew my way through this. And then they laughed and just thought that was funny and, you know. <laughs> Won them over with a smile. Yeah, that was pretty entertaining. Yeah, I don't, I've never heard of a Guinness shandy. I've got to say, but it's, no. uh, <laughs> well, well, it was kind of like that. It was like, do I order? And part of me in my head was like, do I ask for lemonade or do I ask for? <laughs> like like so we were like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you hot, <are> man. <laughs> it was so bad. God. <laughs> Uh, embarrassing so, but hey look, you know it's fun yeah, yeah well that's amazing yeah totally you gotta have fun yeah, yeah david david what movie did you choose well i wasn't gonna actually say anything but given that um <laughs> how well how well the other reviews have been i might as well i might as well add to it uh, so i reviewed i looked at torah 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 thinking this is going to be just fantastic because it's uh world war ii uh, Pearl Harbor, um, and when I jumped online to have a look at the initial feedback, it was like this is one of the most accurate depictions of of any conflict in World War Two you're likely to see. Um, and, and and I thought that that's me, fantastic. You know, a big fan of um, of uh, war docos and in miniseries, The Pacific, and, and those you know, Band of Brothers, and those sorts of things. And I thought this will be good. <laughs> So I put it on Saturday night, um, got my corn chips, got my beer, got about an hour into it and nearly fell asleep. It was that dull. <laughs> um, I, look, I got, I mean, the subtitles, because half of it's in Japanese, <laughs> I got, you know, yeah. I got past that and it was all right. But yeah. they definitely tried to... Um, um, make war the most boring dull thing you could possibly ever want to get involved with so i i yeah. i, I commend, commend them for that um <laughs> anyone watching this um there is no way they'd want to go to war 
because <laughs> the way that it's the way it's portrayed, um, they try and make the, the Yanks look really disorganized and stupid, and no one's talking to anyone throughout the chain of command as to what's going to happen, and it's so bleeding obvious that what, the way they've set up their um, their uh, naval base in Pearl Harbor um, was just stupid. And then the Japanese, they're trying to portray it as being, you know, really, um, really tactical and organized, um, battle ready, combat ready. And I get all that. Um, and that was cool, but it was just dull. It was, it was, ju- it just had nothing in it. There was, there was just no drama. There was no action, mm. no action whatsoever. I didn't see any action. I only got like an hour, just That's over pretty- an hour into it. That's pretty bad for a war movie. You'd well, think there'd be a bit of, of action, right? A bit of action, a bit of drama, a bit of suspense, yeah. but no, it's yeah. just um, people talking. Uh, yeah, so you should have. Yeah, you should have com- baked some cookies, bro. Yeah, Mate, I, I should have to the end. Fast forward a bit, yeah. you know. Fast forward. It, 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 it was terrible. So <laughs> I, I definitely. And then I thought, well, how did I get this so wrong? So I, I went and had a look at the review again, and I, I scrolled down. And then I realized that I should have scrolled down um, earlier. <laughs> and, mm. I wouldn't, and I wouldn't have chosen it because um, he, most people that have watched it have said it's the dullest, most boring movie <laughs> they've ever seen. Um, I don't know what I was thinking, just looking at the, uh, it was probably the director that wrote the initial review that I read. But it was just, it was, it was awful. So there you go. Sorry. Look, um, uh, Torah, 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 uh, two thumbs down from me. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to so say it wasn't something. A, it, wasn't I, a good, it wasn't a good night. It wasn't a good year, was it, for, no, for movies? No. I, for I, I, I do like Tora, Tora, Tora. Oh, okay. There's no. always, there's always you should have reviewed I, it. I know. There's well, I did, think, I did think of that. You know what? I really Bloody did. Bloody Thurston. And you know why I liked it? Because it had airplanes in it. It's the reason why. It's the reason you why. Like, I, you probably like Catch-22 as well, man. Possibly. Um, it's the reason why I picked Top Gun. I mean, it's got lots of cool airplane shots and actual proper flight in it. Um, so, yeah, they dressed the Harvards up as um, zeros. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. They did a really yeah. good job. Um, yeah, but you're right. It did. There was that suspense of building it up, and I can understand. Things were slow back then. They, the movies were actually not very quick, were they? The editing's quite... Mm. I think, I think everyone must have gone to the movies like in the middle of the day rather than like at night because they were just yeah. looking like all these like you know corpse out people like every movie theater in here's, here's another really dull and sort of a link to David's one have you guys heard the song by Europe the final countdown yes yep it's the Never. final countdown <laughs> 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 That yeah. came from an appalling movie called The Final Countdown, or the, there was an appalling movie also known as The Final Countdown, and it was set where um, the USS Enterprise, which is a giant aircraft carrier, got sucked into a wormhole and got spat out in 1941, not far off the coast of Pearl Harbor. And they were wondering, what should we do? Should we intervene and stop World War II happening for us and take it out? What do we do? And they had all this sort of suspense bit. And then they finally go, all right. Sorry, listeners, I'm going to ruin the movie. Um, yeah, we will do something. It's our patriotic duty to stop World War II. All right. You know, we've got the USS Enterprise. We can do this, right? 
and they were just about to intervene and then the wormhole turned up again and sacked them back to the normal time <laughs> at the end of the film and it was incredibly disappointing. What a cop out. Yes. You've been ripped off. An, yeah. Oh, so bad. Anti-climax, anti man. Oh, Jesus. You know, you want to see like Top Gun aircraft wasting like zeros, but it didn't happen. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the song, however, is really fun. The final countdown is about the only redeeming feature. Yeah. Right. With seven what minutes I left. Quite, on, I quite, find quite interesting is like the 70s, right? So, if I think like my folks would have been, what our parents would have been. Mine were 20s 20. or 30s. Yeah, 20. So if they were watching movies at that time, I can't imagine my parents being into stuff like Cats 22, Tora, Tora, Tora. I just can't imagine my mum and dad watching they shit probably, like that. They probably went and saw Love Story. Love Story was the biggest <laughs> film of that year. Um, yeah. And they why probably did anybody saw review that? that? Well, I don't know why we didn't. I chose MASH. <laughs> we didn't. <laughs> Martin, you're you're a new romantic. You should have done that bloody romantic one, man. Oh, he's he's gone real quiet. Anyway, <laughs> I, I, I chose I chose Mash. Yes, and uh, not the not the TV series. I chose the movie. The movie. Yeah, there was a movie. Robert and Altman, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. He's apparently a real famous director, a bit of a hard ass director. Um. And it was um, based on a novel um, of a, a a surgeon who was actually, you know, in the Korean War and basically wrote about little experiences and the and the surgery and trying to deal with all that crap on a daily basis. So the movie's actually quite gritty. Um, it's quite. Um, it's not really. There's no particular plot except that it sort of follows these little stories and scenes of um some rather irreverent surgeons and they're hilariously troublesome and they cause all sorts of hijinks and trouble um and there's one guy called hawkeye and trapper and if you've ever watched the tv show they're the same characters yep. um but they had a young donald sutherland in the role and um uh, elliot gould yeah yeah so actually the movie stacks up it's a bit misogynist um, actually, it's not a bit. It's quite misogynist, really. Um, and at the time, it was regarded as really gory, but um, there was plenty of blood and guts. But there's no. For me, it was really interesting watching it. There were no. There was no real hard storyline all the way through it. It's just really all these experiences that they had to try and keep mm. themselves sane in war. And um, it was set in the Korean War, but you could basically read it as um, um, an anti-Vietnam War as well. Um, so it was quite cool. The, the, there was all these sort of announcements that linked scene to scene so that came over the loudspeakers, and they were all inept. Everything about it was inept. You know, David was saying that the US Army was inept in Tora Tora Tora. Um, yeah, it was exactly the same in Korea as well. It was just how these guys were um, getting through it. It was in a horrible situation. So it was a smash hit. It was a, basically an indie sort of film, a couple of million made it to make it. It made like something like 80 million. And was, um, it, was, mm. was, it, what, was, it, the, was it the birth of the series Mesh from yes. that? Yeah, yes, right. a couple of years they adapted it for TV. Yeah, yeah. And that ran for 11 years. It did a while. Yeah. yeah, that, oh yeah. God, we used to, I remember watching that. Yeah. And really when I think about it, 
they should never have had that on before the news. Um, because for kids, it's quite adult. Um, it's a lot of adult <laughs> shit and mash. It's quite... Oh, mate, adult. the Flintstones were on before the news. And if you watch the Flintstones with with adult eyes... It's so there some, there, Yeah, there's some stuff in there that you don't want your kids looking at. Eh? It's like, okay. Especially that Barney Rubble. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean... So yeah, mash mash was really good. It was quite subversive as well. Um, I found the sound appallingly annoying in it because it, obviously they filmed bits and then they voiced over parts, like in the surgery oh, and stuff yeah. like that. Um, yeah. Because sound technology was obviously not that great, but um, yeah, it was an interesting watch and it was quite neat to see all those characters again and see you know where they sort of whether it all came from. Um, yeah, Mesh was actually quite good. What was that hot lady called? A Mesh was Callahan or something? Hot, hot lips. Hot, legs. hot lips. Hot lips. Coolahan. 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 Yeah. And in That's the all film, I they were in the film. They were terrible to it. Absolutely yeah. appalling. Um, yeah, but the rest of it was it's a bit of a scream actually. Um, so I can see why it was so popular because it was cheeky, subversive, and um, at mm. matching that time where this horrendous war was going on again in Asia. Um, it just was it, what hit the spot. It didn't glamify mm. or anything like that. It was just the horrendousness of it. So, yeah, MASH was actually a good movie. I enjoyed it. One out of four, eh? Yeah, one out of one four. Out of four. Wow. wow. One out of four in terms of uh, you, you got you to you hit the rest of us sort of. Yeah. Um, and and let's be fair, the theme tune for Mash um, uh, that uh, is pretty famous. Suicide amazing. is painless. Yes. yes. Um, yeah, that's it's, a good old chirpy song, isn't it? I mean, it's it, yeah, it's, it's not. Old, hey, that's what makes it so brilliant. Yeah, yeah. it's not Monday morning song. It is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I <laughs> quite like that. You know, they're like, oh well, they're like one of the, the I think one of the the guy with the large um, penis um, that they talked about, he was like, he was really worried that he was with some lady and it couldn't go up the way he wanted it to. Um, so he thought he'd become gay overnight. And they were like, oh, dear, uh, what are we going to do? And he's like, oh, well, I think I'm just going to have to commit suicide. Um, and he had this whole, there's this whole scene where he's like having the last supper and he flies down to <laughs> the coffin to go to sleep while they're playing the song. It's bonkers, but it's quite funny. <laughs> Yeah, oh, Jesus! Like, I was not. I was. I was surprised. Yeah, I'm gonna go and watch it. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. I think what I've learned with definitely with the stuff that we've been doing over the last few weeks is that uh, I. I mean, I don't. I don't trust really, and I use it as a real loose guide. That kind of whole Rotten Tomatoes, I, IMB or whatever the hell it is, rating thing. Mm. I make my own rating. Because there's Absolutely. so much, yeah, man. Because that What's Rotten the... Tomatoes, I've seen some on there, and they've they've been on what I thought were cracking movies, and they've had really low scores. Rotten Tomatoes, the validity of it, right? So, Godfather, Shawshank Redemption, they're all up like around about eighty something percent. Highest rated movie on on Rotten Tomatoes, I'm not sure if it still is, but it was Paddington Two. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. There you go. It the was beer. Like, yeah, Paddington Bear. Yeah. 
It was right. something like 98%. It was a cracking movie. <laughs> to be fair, the Paddington series is really, really good. <laughs> no, it really is. It's brilliant. No, I agree. Uh, Martin, on this better, better than The Godfather? It's uh, quicker. Uh, 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 <laughs> Will it stand the test of time? I don't know. Uh, it's pretty Probably. damn good. Yeah. I don't know. Probably not. Depends on your mood. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, that's that's side one completed, listeners. We have now gone through all our movie choices. Thank God for that. Yes. Maybe, and that, maybe was de- that was depressing, wasn't it? Well, sort oh. of. Sort of, but kind of funny at God. the same time. Can't always be a winner, Ian. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> Everyone's a winner, baby. Well, not not for yeah, not for us and our choices, apart from nineteen seventy. No, no. So let's go on to something a little bit more interesting, which is um, our album choices for this Hurrah. week. Hurrah! Yeah. Indeed. Hurrah! Yeah! Hurrah! Yeah! Ow! Huzzah! So we'll, start, also, we'll start off with Martin uh, again, uh, since he hosted last week. Martin, oh. what did you choose for us? Well, this week, guys, I oh, I was looking through, and and there were uh, there was a plethora, that's a good word, of uh, of cool albums. Nineteen seventy, it was a good year. There were five Beatles solo albums in nineteen seventy. Yeah, Ringo somehow shoveled out two. Like yeah. that's amazing. But I didn't choose any of With those. With a bit of help from his friends. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Stop it. yeah. Stop well, you've got to have friends, don't you? You do. You do. So, so I've gone. Yeah. Oh, oh. Yeah. Sorry, we, I was just going to say, guitar, guitar George, he knows all the chords. Sorry. <laughs> oh, David. Jeez, you right. like, shut up. Let Martin do his review. Martin, yeah, Martin, Martin chose not a Beatles related record. Not what a Beatles related record. Uh, I actually went with um, Free uh, and the album Fire and Water, which was their third album. Um, and the reason I chose uh, free was uh, I, they didn't quite, although they're really well respected within within the muso kind of community and stuff, they never made it to the same level as some of those other bands from that era. If you think like Zeppelin and Cream, and you know, they, mm. they're never they're always kind of like compared to them, but never kind of talked in the same kind of revered tones. And I think that's a crying shame because they're an amazing band. Um, and Paul Rogers for me, hands down, top, top five rock vocalists of all time. Easy. Um, amazing vocalist. Um, Mm -hmm. and the thing that I really love about the band is that at that time, you know, we were coming out of psychedelia and, and the excesses of everyone was using the whole wall of sound, Phil Spector thing throw, you know, a hundred piece orchestra and six drummers and five bass players and all the rest of it. These guys, it was the four of them. They each stuck to their instruments. They did solos, but they were tasteful and, and kind of restrained in the way that they played. Uh, and they just let the songs talk, you know? Um, and, and as I say, um, Paul Rogers, the vocalist, you know, if, if you listen to, to those tracks and, and you kind of folk concentrate a bit, you'll notice that you know, his voice is just raw and dry. Mm. There are no effects on there. There's no reverb. It's just his voice. And when mm. you kind of like listen to that in, in the context of, of those songs, it hits like it's so hard to kind of, um, you know, it just it just really emotes. It's amazing, like, uh, as a, uh, his, his use of his vocal. Um 
But they're, they were a really young band as well, you know. They were all in their really early 20s, and this was their third album. Admittedly, their first two wow. b- both pretty much flopped. They didn't really get much going on in terms of the album sales, but they were building up a reputation live, and it kind of built up their following through touring um, endlessly. Mm-hmm. Uh, at around the time they kind of released the album, they were earning some original about 80 to 250 pounds a night. Uh, gigging um, they released the album uh, which had the single All Right Now you know that song? yep All Right Oh right yeah. Now. yeah yeah so yeah, yeah. Um, which became like their biggest hit um, but you know the band didn't particularly enjoy the fact that that became like their big hit because it wasn't very kind of uh, uh, well, it was a it was a different kind of style of song, really, to, to everything else they were kind of doing. It was a bit more lighthearted and a bit throwaway. In fact, the the rumors go that they wrote the song after a show in ten minutes. Um, wow! And you know, and, yeah. and it goes out. Um, you know, my my track that hopefully you're going to play a snippet of this for me is um, mm. in the middle of the song. We're about two minutes in. It, it does a breakdown and it just basically goes to to bass, and, yeah. and that little bass riff. It's brilliant. It's so cool. Mm. Um, now the bass player, uh, I think he was sixteen at the time that they re- they recorded this. He joined the band when <laughs> oh, he was wow. fourteen or fifteen. Yeah, so man. you know, and when you listen to that solo, it sounds like someone who's been playing for years and years and years, and it's got to that point yeah. where like, I don't need to show off anymore. I know yeah. that I'm good. I'm just gonna play play this riff, <laughs> oh, and that's exactly yeah, yeah, and that's Seven. and man, it's so cool. Has that album got? Uh, has that album got wishing well on it? And no, that was feel that like was, making love. No, well, feel like making love was was bad company. It was it was kind of like oh, the spin off right. band. But, um, that's right. Yeah, uh, wishing well actually wishing. came later. It was um, 
uh, I think on their last album. And by that point, they'd already actually split up and then got back reformed and got back oh, together yeah. again by, by this time. Oh, that um, was a cracking song, eh? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, they, were, they had some really chunky riffs in, in some of their songs, mm. some really great ones, you know. Um, but they always had this blues sound as well, you know, that was quite raw in the way that they performed uh, uh, both on stage and, and on record as well. Um, yeah, um, it's a great, great album, and, and not just for that song. If you listen to the first, the opening track, the title track, Fire and Water, which mm. will hopefully be up on the playlist, that's going to be my, my other choice for the playlist. It's a great stomping song, yeah, a brilliant, brilliant, raw, gritty blues um, with obviously the rock thing going on as well. So anyway, so yeah, so they were earning 80 to 250 uh, quid a night gigging. They released Each. it all right. Yeah. No, no, it was a band. As a band. <laughs> As a band. Yeah. Wow. Released the album. All right now went to number two in the UK, uh, made top 10 in, in the States. And overnight, they went up to uh, a £1,000 a night. Yeah, of course. Gigging. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it just yeah. went from there, basically, and, and kind of skyrocketed from there. Um, yeah. But yeah, um, you know, if, if you only know All Right Now or Wishing Well, go check out some of the stuff on their, on their albums as well because there's some deep cuts and some, some really great playing. And, and, and as I say, Paul Rogers' voice, oh, I could just mm. listen to that for hours and hours yeah. and then. Brilliant, he does brilliant. Have, he does have a unique voice. For so that album, Martin, is that your pick of their catalogue to start with? or? Um, or? Yeah, you know what, there's actually, a, you know, as a starting point to get into them, I would actually say go, there's one, I think it's called The Free Story, which is like a great tits kind of album. Um, and that that is a good jumping in point. Um, but in terms of the studio work, yeah, this was their biggest hit by far. Even the ones that kind of came after it, this was still still the one that kind of became their benchmark mm. album, really. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Fabulous. Yeah, um, yeah um, so those tracks again were... All right now, yep, and uh, fire and water, which fire is the title track. Yeah. Sweet, we'll get those up tomorrow. Sounds awesome, Ian. What did you choose for nice. us, mate? Uh, yeah, okay. Well, I'm I'm excited about this review. A lot more excited than my video review, my oatmeal <laughs> cookie review. So this is this is really good, and uh, I enjoyed I enjoyed the 1970s selection. There was heaps of music stuff. Um, so I went for uh, something a little bit different. It's called Walk a While by the, a band called Fairport Convention, which is like a British folk pop. Um, and I suppose I chose it because I quite like folk music. My parents were big into folk music. Uh, they were big into folk, uh, more like Irish, Scottish trad stuff, but then that led on to the, the rocky mm. stuff for me and uh, checking it out myself. So uh, Fairport Convention, uh, as a band, they're huge. They, they were they were the pioneers, man. They were massive. And what came out of those guys was some incredible um, things. So all their albums are pretty much awesome. It gets a bit lame around mid-'80s, but, um, yeah, they're amazing. Richard Thompson was part of Fairport. He's an incredible songwriter. I mean, the, the guy's a dude, you know. Um, that, that, so really good band. And if you don't like um, British folk rock, what, what I thought I'd do is I'd uh, 
write down some instructions on on how to listen to it. So this is for the listeners, really. Um, mm-hmm. So what you do is, is is you take you take the album, which is called Walk a While by Fairport Convention, and I think the the the, the most important the first thing the most important thing when you listen to British folk rock is you've got to remove all the thoughts of stuff like Robin Hood and bows and arrows and that sort of shit. You've got to get rid of all that out of your head, right? The second thing you've got to do is uh, you've got to put up with the kind of weird accent when they sing because that's how they speak. And um, and for me, that's like hoorah, you know, thank goodness. It's not just another person trying to sound American. They are, they're British. So they sing like that for a reason. And the third thing is you got to put at the front of your mind that these guys fairport convention that they're they're creating uh the music as they're doing this album so they're not copying anybody they are the creators of what they're writing right there so you're listening to something that's unique and uh, i think once you've got all those sort of elements and you put an album on you know you're gonna you'll enjoy it uh, enjoy it a lot more um they've got great vocals amazing harmonies uh different instruments you know so yeah uh what have i got written down here track one walk a while that's the uh the title track it's a nice song it kind of gently leads you into the sort of journey of what you're going to go on you know it's kind of catchy and cheesy and easy listening uh and then you get to something like track six which is called flat back caper which is the track that that dave might put a snippet on and this track is i mean for me it's just really advanced for 1970 it like the sound is advanced for me it's quite progressive in the writing style for me uh You've got stuff like mandolins, bazookas, fiddles, all those trad instruments mixed with like banging bass lines. You know, someone's in there giving it a real good old bass. And and the drummer for that tracks is almost like John Bonham. He's proper going for it. You know, the end, it's like real good drums, you know, sort of, yeah. And the time signatures in that song, it starts as a 4-4 four, four and then trips to a 3-4. And then jumps back to a four four. They're very clever of what they do. So if you're a bit of a music nut, which I am, and you enjoy stuff like that, you know this album's good because it's it does have different time signatures, which you don't get with a lot of pop and rock. Um, yeah, and it's good for that. What have we got here? Paul Willie and Jolly Hangman. That's like a classic folk kind of song. Uh, a bit prog rocky sign, uh, sounding. A bit of a thrashy outro, which is quite nice. And track 10. Well, this is my challenge. My challenge to everybody listening. I challenge you to find a longer title for a song than, than track 10 which is called Sir B. McKenzie's Daughter's 
lament for the 27th Mounted Lancers retreat from the Straits of Loch Nome. <laughs> That's what it's called. <laughs> I know. Oh, no <laughs> Yeah, uh, so that's just a whole lot of reels and and jigs and stuff like that. Um, Ian, yeah, Ian, is, is so is that that mouthful of a title? Is that actually mentioned in the song? No, no, <laughs> <laughs> brilliant. I, I don't think so. <laughs> but uh, you know, fair, the thing is, when people think of Brit, Brit, you know, uh, folk, what they think of our. Uh, that sort of stuff, right? And that's unfair because these guys influenced a whole lot of bands. They really brought the rock. Yeah. They started to bring the rock into music. Um, and they well, there was a there was a wave of them, wasn't there? Because there was these guys, and then there was like Jeffrey Toll and Steel Ice yes. Fan, and yeah. and yeah, so like the folk yeah. rock thing. They did kind of merge quite early on, yeah. and, and it's still very much out there, right? I mean, there's there's, there's there's quite a few sort of, I wouldn't say modern bands, but more recent bands that have definitely kind of taken on that style. Um, yeah. There's a brilliant band called Mostly Autumn, um, oh. well worth checking out, who, who use that, who are very much in that kind of, it, it's rock and it, it's proggy, but at the same time, it has a very, very heavy folk influence on it as well yeah nice yeah i've not heard of those guys i'll have to check those out but i i just i don't think it's the kind of genre it's a bit like when i did jazz i don't think it's a genre that gets enough mention and credit mm. because there is some really good stuff you just the way that some of those guys play those jigs and reels that is hard music man mm. you go and learn that and play that you you will have your work cut out trust me mm. Yeah, you, you've been into that uh, that scene for a long, long time. I remember when I was hanging out with you when you were a teenager and you bought a penny whistle. I've never well, heard of a penny whistle before. Um, and then you were like, showed me how it worked. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, and, when and I was where it sort of linked into the work, you know, the stuff that you were listening to. Yeah. When I was 21, I left New Zealand to go live in Spain and I wanted to be a musician and and I joined an Irish band in Spain and I lived there for three years <laughs> working in an Irish band as a job. And, uh, so I got really influenced by the Irish people and what they were into. And, uh, that was such a really good thing musically. Then mm. later on, uh, I actually got to know the fiddle player from Fairport convention, Dave Swarbrick. Oh. And he was signed to the same publisher that I'm signed to in the UK, which is Celtic music. And uh, he's, yeah, he's dead now, but incredible fiddle player, incredible guy um, out there, man. These guys were out there. Yep. So go and check out. Oh, love it. Convention. Love it. Love mm. so that you got that personal connection to them too. Mm. Mm. Wonderful. Wasn't, wasn't Richard Thompson also a guitar player, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. He's the man. Yeah, yeah. I've heard, yeah, super duper good things about There's him. There's a great... Um, well, you, there's a great track by him with Tim Finn and Neil Finn called Persuasion. Um, Absolutely. Yes. Check yes, it out. Phenomenal yeah. song. Yeah, yeah great Beautiful, song. beautiful yeah. song. Yes, it is. One of my favourites. Yeah. Yeah, they did a great cover Richard of that, Thompson. correct? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yes. I'm so Fairport Convention, it. go and buy some Fairport. Go and get that down you. Go and get that down you and see how you feel. <laughs> Love it. Thanks, Ian. Yeah. You're welcome. David Chan, what have you selected? Well, we're going to stay um, at least momentarily on the uh, on the genre of folk. Um, so nice. I've chosen Ladies of the Canyon by Joni Mitchell. Joni Mitchell, to me, um, going into this, um, I had this probably similar to a lot of people that don't really know a lot about her, but I kind of pictured her long blonde hair, probably with um, maybe some dreads in there and a cigarette <laughs> hanging out of her mouth and kind of um, quite, you know, hippie. And how you know, wrong were you? Very wrong, as it turns out. Very, um, very wrong. Yeah. But certainly at this time in 1970, she was still sporting a lot of what I just described. But uh, this album is is interesting. Um, a lot of people... So I've listened to this album about six or seven times in the last week. I've uh, been doing a lot of driving around um, over Easter and just had this on. Um, in my earbuds and um so it's kind of grown on me um it's an interesting album because it it, it sort of spans the from when Joni was you know in the in the 60s writing a lot of folk stuff um and, and by the time it's 1970 she's sort of in her i think she's about 26 27 so she's got a few years under her belt because she started out as a teenager right about 18 19 um so she you know she's probably got a decade worth of um experience real experience um as a singer songwriter under her belt and 1970 she produces this thing uh which which is um a seminal piece of work for her um it's it's certainly an, an excellent entry point um to your question earlier um glenn around how, how one might get into you know a bit of she's got such a huge back catalog it's just where do you start mm. um but yeah. certainly this is not a bad place because it sort of spans that folk to i, I don't know if you call it rock but it's certainly um a bit more mainstreamy in the in the going into the mid 70s and then she she sort of turns to jazz um and other things later on this this is the album that's got probably three of her biggest hits if you want to call them so big yellow taxi uh woodstock and the circle game round out um the last three tracks of side b um and and big yellow taxi is probably the one that most people will know because it was it's been covered by um, the Counting Crows, um, Amy Grant, you know, a lot of artists have covered it and, and done fairly well, um, you know, done quite good covers. But, I mean, Joni's is, is magical. If if, um, if you get the chance, do put it on. It, it hasn't dated at all. In fact, this whole album, um, from start to finish, sounds like it could have been recorded yesterday. Um, the, I mean, you know, the vocals are... Um, I'll tell you, tell you what was really interesting is... I've listened to a lot of um, um, Tori Amos in my time, and um, there was a striking resemblance between the, the vocals of you know of those two artists. Um, Joni Mitchell's got that incredibly high pitched kind of voice, but she could she's got quite a range, in fact, um, and probably because uh, as she sort of went through the years, she's she's a prolific smoker. So I don't know if you know she's she's near, well into her seventies and she's still smoking um quite a bit uh she was interviewed not not long ago and, and she had fags <laughs> she had fags hanging out, out of her mouth um, and her Six voice is kind of <laughs> she no she and but back, back in 1970 she sounds so much like tori amos in the early 90s 
when yeah. she put out Little Earthquakes and, and some of her big yeah. hit records. Um, very similar, but um, and it's not surprising when you look at who she's influenced, the likes of um, Suzanne Vega, um, mm-hmm. for example, you know, um, other artists that have come along and have got amazing vocal range uh, and power um, in their David, singing. So, what, David, what I, that big yellow taxi song, Mm. What I, I I love about that song is the bit at the end where she just tries to jump right up to the high bit and she giggles. I yeah. just love that. She goes ah, right up yeah. high and then she comes back down low, doesn't yeah. she? She's, she's, she's human. Yeah. She's human. She giggles. She loves yeah. it. I love yeah, that. Yeah, she does. And, and she what kept was that on. She smiled every time. And, she and what was cool is the they left that on the recording. It's yeah. so yeah. cool at the end. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. Totally. Um, there's a, I was just watching a little a clip of her playing at one of the festivals in 1970, and I've just restored the they've restored the footage, um, and she does that as well at this gig, just to, as a bit of a laugh as well. So it's obvious. <laughs> I mean, she, her falsetto is 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 kind of at the you know it's glass shattering. It's so high. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, I mentioned those three tracks on the end of side two, but. Um, the track that really sort of stands I mean the Circle Game is an amazing song or poem really if, if you get a chance to listen to it she wrote that in 67 and it's really about and, and you've got so you've got Crosby, Stills and Nash right, um, singing on the chorus they're sort of the background um, on actually the foreground um, harmony on, on the chorus um, nice. on that song and it's, um, it's, a, it's a poetic song about um, a child's journey to adulthood it's as simple as that then the child moved ten times from the seasons, skated over ten clear frozen streams. Words like when you're older must appease him and promises of someday make his dream. The seasons they go round and round, and the painted ponies go up and down. We're captive on the carousel of time. We can't return, we can only look behind from where we That's probably the one I'll put on the. Um, uh, I'll certainly be putting that on the playlist, Glenn, um, along probably with uh, Morning Morgantown, which is um, the opener on side one, um, which is a great little pop tune. Um, simply a slice of life, just looking at um, the only, I think she sort of says in that one, you know, um, the only thing I can sort of give you is, um, you know, mornings with me for the rest of your life, which is quite poetic and quite uh, quite deep um and yeah. maybe a cigarette if you ask nicely. maybe a cigarette if you ask nicely um, <laughs> Forgetting quick only enough. one only one get your so, hands off so I'll, I'll, there are probably people listening to this a truckload about Joni than i do um and i mean she's such a, a fascinating person um she sees herself as sort of she sees herself as quite hard done in the 70s or 60s and 70s, particularly because, you know, it was the, the boys got all the attention. So you had Dylan and you had the Beatles, and, you know, 
all these guys, um, Neil Young and that. Uh, but Joni, you know, she sort of feels like she was a bit hard done. And so she's kind of gone, swung the right down the other end of the pendulum and kind of come across um, as being not, well, quite self-assured is probably the nice way of putting it. Some say arrogant um, when, when she's interviewed. She sees herself as, she compares herself as to, to very few people, maybe Dylan, Picasso is another one. And interestingly enough, uh, this is what I found fascinating. She doesn't, she sees herself as a painter first, songwriter or um, uh, a musician second. Um, so so mm. she's a, she's a fabulous painter and she, she, she did all the artwork for, or a lot of the artwork for her albums. I don't think she sells any of it. I think it's all um, hanging up on her house, um, uh, for, you know, for, for herself, but um, yes, yeah, and she hasn't really done a lot in terms of the music scene since um, she reunited with her adopted daughter. So when she was, in fact, probably around this time, 1970, around there, she she fell pregnant and ended up adopting out her daughter, um, found her 20 years later or so, 30 years later, um, wow. thanks to some thanks to some very very quick witted. Uh, uh, um, friends of, of her daughter and w- w- they were reunited and she basically said at that point her her need to sing to sort of desire to sing kind of just left her and she 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 really focused on the the painting so fascinating person um more than more than just music certainly there's a you know it's a, it's a very deep well there with Joni so um top yeah. album um ladies of the canyon highly recommended yeah, nice. just sort of showed how misogynistic the um the totally. whole record. Yeah, really, totally. really bad. Yeah. Right. Thank you, David. Um, I've chosen an album that I'm really, really fond of. Um, love it to bits, actually. It's called Tumbleweed Connection, and it's by Elton John. Um, and for me, it's an album that's sort of um let's be fair sort of brings in the 70s in some ways it's got that really lush wonderful production that sort of was i don't know as a kid's growing up or sort of born in the 70s it became the super sounds of the 70s and mm. elton john music was massive in our house and so that production that sound that gus dunch dutchin dutchin i think it's yeah, the, gus dutchin the, yeah yeah, yeah, other producer um, linked with those amazing sort of songs. Um, yeah, it really sort of kicked that off. Um, and I'd forgotten about Elton John for so many years. And I was watching some films with Bronwyn, um, my wife, and there was a couple of Cameron Crowe movies. One of them called Almost Famous. We've probably all seen Almost Famous before. The famous scenes where they're singing in the bus to um, Tiny Dancer. Yeah. Um, and he's also got this other film called Elizabeth Town as well. Um, so he, he litters and um, Cameron litters this movies with so many musical heroes and references. And Elton was in there, and I thought, man, that's a cracking tune. Um, and then he went back and had a look. Um, My father's gun, which will be on the playlist. And I was like, oh, a tumbleweed connection. I don't think I've heard that one. So I went and found it, and listen to it and it's it's brilliant it's by far my favorite elton john album there are no hits on it and none of the big hits on it at all um Mm. it's basically his debut albums already come out with your song which was the mega hit and then him and bernie wrote a song uh wrote an album 
two London boys writing an album about what the America would have been like or is like from two boys who have never been to America mm-hmm. and yet completely obsessed by it. Um, so they've all these Americana songs um, imagined by two London cowboys effectively um, make up this wonderful album. Um, yeah. And it's it's just, for me, I think it's because it doesn't have all the big hits on it is what attracts me to it so much. From this day on, until I die, I wear my father's gun. I like to know where the riverboat sails tonight. To New Orleans, well, that's just fine, all right. Cause that's fine in there, and the company needs men. So step us a road and sail on around the bend. Of those early Elton albums, you know, and he was just on fire through like those first like five, six albums. Like they're, they're all phenomenal albums, but that one has my favorite early 70s Elton track on it, which is Burn Down the Mission. And the, oh, piano, the piano playing on that track is just on fire. It, it's so cool. So cool. I yep. love it to death. But that album is an awesome album. Yeah. Yeah, absolute powerhouse. Um, and this, you know, the production on it is super lush, beautiful strings on it. But it sounds like a breath of fresh air um, compared to what sort of came before it, if you know what I mean. Mm. Um, I'm, as we know, um, I'm partial to a well written, quite like a well written song and well sung song. Um, that's the reason why Engelbert got the look a couple of weeks ago. Oh my God, I'm still going on about that. It's just, I know. Just, you know, there's, there's a time yeah. and a place for a beautifully <laughs> written song, beautifully arranged and produced song. I mean, I, I still sort of this sort of garagey sort of rock bands as well, but I, for me, this is, it just got that, I don't know, it's the sound, super sounds of the 70s, and it was brand new, and it came through, um, and listeners will be able to say, no, they're bullshit, there was loads of great <laughs> production already and stuff like that, but that sounds fresh and it sounds new from a new singer with an amazingly great voice, um, and there's a following, there's an album that came there the next year released and it's a live one and i think it does actually have burned down the mission on it um, if you, that album which is here and here and now or here and there i think it's called or now and then yeah um the, if you get the cd version the remastered one it's like twice as long and um it's basically two concerts one in in london and one at madison square gardens and the madison square gardens one features the last live performance with john lennon where Lennon came out and did um, Lucy oh, in the right. Sky with Diamonds yeah, and yeah, Whatever yeah. Gets You Through the Night. But um, the, the yeah. flip side album, the, the London one, um, it's just brilliant, just brilliant. And it's a very small band. It's like him and Nigel Olsen, the drummer, and, and Dee, Dee Murray, and, and uh, yeah. the, the guitarist, and Ray Cooper on percussion. And it's just that core band, rather than like the huge excess band that he's got nowadays. And they are just... On fire. Brilliant. Absolutely pinpoint. Such yeah. a good album. I recommend yeah. that one as well, yeah. Yeah, totally agree with you. Um, so for me, 
hearing those songs on, and you often find songs through movies and TV shows these days. Mm. Um, there's some wonderful curators of, um, and people putting them together, and you go, oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, I went back and rediscovered all of early Elton's albums, and, man, it's been just a journey of awesomeness. So when 1970 came up, mm. for me, I know there's some fabulous records, but I'm just went like, tumbleweed, bam. My wife saw yeah. it on the list and went tumbleweed. Um, it it just, was actually going to be my choice for album this week, but you got, oh, I got in rotter. so <laughs> I got in so damn fast. I we fast. got in so damn fast for well, it. You should have got in fast with Tora, 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 Glenn. I would have been quite happy. <laughs> but I chose a different tact on that one. I thought, well, I have never seen the original MASH movie, so I thought I'd go with that. But, and, yeah. Uh, it's actually Sir, Sir Elton. To us. Oh, yes, yes, it is yeah. indeed. It I is. suppose you're right, yes. Yeah, I'm I don't totally think he right. minds. I think you're he so doesn't English. mind that if you call him out. <laughs> so, so English. Uh, yeah, so. He's, he's uh, earned that, man. Yeah, he did. And we all know yeah. the famous story of when he went in early 71, I think, to America and played at the famous Troubadour Club and everyone was mm. thinking, you know, he's going to be this earnest singer-songwriter because singer-songwriters, obviously, as David was pointing out before, massive at that point. Um, mm. And he came out in hot pants and something else and <laughs> just tore it up, just absolutely tore it up with the three-piece mm. band that he had. And everyone's like, dude, drawers drop because they were seeing something new. Mm. Um, and that was pretty cool to see. So, yeah, bye-bye 60s, hello 70s, eh? Yeah. Um, and I can see why everybody kind of got sick of him by the end of like, you know, 75, 76, because the guy just dominated everything yeah. in, that, in that decade. Um, there was, so, yeah. It was, a, it was a decade. I reckon it was definitely early 70s was definitely a, a time of, uh, when you say these small bands, it was a time of that though, right? It was a time of bands. These guys were... Oh, were totally. Time, man. They didn't need all that stuff. They They... They knew this. They knew how to play their mm. instruments well. They they were the magic, right? And that's all you need. Um, yeah, and I know, and I I think the record companies also, you know, mm. um, did allow a, a level of um, uh, trust with their artists. I mean, Elton made a big smash with you know your song. You know, if you're an album or you know the company, the record company, you'd be like, come on, where's the next one? And then. Um, the next one comes along and it's this homage to Americana from two London cowboys with no hats on it. Um, <laughs> and they still put it out. You know what I mean? Like, good for them. Yeah. Um, and just having that, you know, that ability to keep going like that, it's pretty choice. Yeah, but it was cool. I love it. But so just, I will put, I'll put a couple of tracks on. Hey, just nice. before we kind of wrap up, guys, um, I did want to make a quick mention because um, – uh, interestingly enough, David put a post up on Facebook today about uh, what's the best gig you've ever been to. Oh, and yeah. for me, uh, today is actually Easter Monday is the 30th anniversary of my first ever gig. And oh, awesome. it Happy was, anniversary. it was yeah, this, man. it was the Freddie Mercury tribute at Wembley stadium. Oh, no and, way. Um, oh, wow. What a gig to go to make your first gig. Um, Basically, I saw pretty much all of my heroes in one day. You know, I, I've got the, the, the program, the tour program here still with the, the, the artists performing. So I'm just going to go down some names here. David Bowie, Roger Daltrey, 
Um, Ian Hunter, Tony Iommi, Elton John, Annie Lennox, Metallica, George Michael, Robert Plant. Uh, you know. Uh, Who? Yeah, right? It was like, okay, oh I just ticked off. Like, Is, is that yeah. the one... Was Annie Lennox singing with um, David Bowie? Yeah. Under, under pressure? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was phenomenal. And our friends, yeah, yeah, were there as well. Dave, <laughs> Dave, you're, Dave's like, who are all these bands? I mean, he's wanting stuff like Kylie, Bross. Mick <laughs> Astley. Um, well, there was some Ashley. of that going on there as well. There was like, <laughs> Sil was there, you know, Sil came on yeah. and kind of murdered Who Wants to Live Forever. But, you know, sentiment oh. was cool. Uh, but, yeah. you know, Seeing those bands and seeing Queen, who were just gods to me, um, well, what with the, the three remaining members, obviously, um, it just it just blew me away, and I thought, you know what, this is what I want to do. This is this is it. I want to be a rock star. You know, stuff school, <laughs> stuff A levels. Oh, how old? Oh, right, thirty years ago. Yeah, I was sixteen. Yeah, fifteen, yeah. sixteen. What an event to go to. Oh, yeah. And it was the first time I'd ever seen that many people in one place as well. You know, 72,000 people at that gig. Huge. Mate, mate. Yes, oh, huge. I was it's, going to... It's an impact, eh? Oh, I did. Yeah. You know, I, I, it, it's hard to actually talk about. I do feel kind of quite emotional talking about it still mm. because it was. It was just like a seminal moment in my life. And it's the, it was a brilliant, brilliant day, a happy day. It was the sun was shining and... You couldn't ask for more from a gig. It was, you know, and, and obviously there was sadness because Freddie wasn't there and, you know, and the, the message of the day was that it was a concert for AIDS awareness. So it was, it was a somber tone in terms of that. But at the same time, everybody just left their egos at the door and just mm. came out and played, much in the spirit of Live Aid before it. And, um, yeah, just a phenomenal, phenomenal um, gig. You know, I was watching... Bohemian Rhapsody was on TV the other night and we were watching it. And at the end of it, you know, they, they just had like a little summary thing of, of like the events leading up to Freddie's death. And Freddie died when he was 45. And that really mm. hit home for me, you know, because I hit 46 this year. And, and mm. I still think of him as being, you know, like this elder statesman. It was just, it's just weird yeah. to kind of think of that. But um, yeah, you know, I, I just wanted to make a mention of that. And yeah, um, yeah, you know that that was my gig. Um, yeah, I could, I, nice. it's never going to get topped. No, no, yeah. it, won't. it never will. I think there's a whole podcast on that one night. Our mm. sort of fav, favorite <laughs> gigs that we've been to or played at. Mm. Um, I think that would be really cool. Yeah, 